Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, and then I would ask you also to mark 1 Timothy chapter 3. Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Oh, uh, we need we need some more outlines. Do we have any more outlines? Who is Alice? Do we have some? All right. If you need an outline, you can lift a hand. We do have some extras. We have some down here, Alice. Alice, you couldn't get Ike to do that for you? He made you get up and do that, didn't he? (laughs) Ignore your flip-flop sound. That's not a statement you often hear in church, I guess, is it? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It's not one you may hear often in this one, perhaps. First Timothy chapter six and then uh, I mean, first Timothy chapter three, then Acts chapter six. So we'll start tonight uh, in Acts chapter six. Tonight is is an important night in the life of the church and uh, is a a particular part of our ministry, something that as as not just a Baptist church, a lot of denominations do it, but in particular uh, as a Baptist church. We traditionally recognize that there are two offices. What we mean by offices is while there could be a number of leadership positions in the church, uh, there could be a number of folks who are engaged and uh, involved in a number of ministries, and it can happen uh, on a variety of levels. We know that the Scripture itself ordains two primary positions of leadership, and perhaps I should even say Servant leadership in the church. These are recognized positions that God has established in his word. Uh, on the one hand, you have pastor slash elder. Uh, I use that term because I think those two terms are interchangeable. In fact, where you see the word bishop, overseer, uh, pastor, elder, I think all four of those words are synonyms. So if you're reading through the New Testament and you run across them, you run across pastor in the book of Acts, uh, you run across uh, either bishop, overseer, uh, elder in First Timothy. You run across elder in the book of Acts as well. I think all of these are synonymous. And I think all of these describe the pastoral office. Then we have deacons. The second uh, set of, uh, of, of servant leadership in the church. Now, when I mention deacons, even, probably even when I mention pastors, undoubtedly everybody here has some kind of a notion of what you think about that. What, what, what it means to be a pastor, what a pastor should be, what a pastor should do. And when you hear the word deacon, uh, inevitably you have a particular notion of what a deacon should be, what a deacon should do. Uh, now, oftentimes in churches, these two positions, these, uh, these ideas don't always mesh. Sometimes there could be a wide variety of ideas. Some folks may say, well, I think a deacon should dot, 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 whatever. I think a pastor should dot, dot, dot. And when you go to look then in Scripture for such explicit instruction, you don't necessarily find it. 
Now, this is particularly true for deacon. While, while I do believe the deacon is one of the two offices of the church, there is little information in the New Testament. In other words, what we have to do then as a church is we take what Scripture says and we, we take out of that what we believe are the principles, are the concepts, are the, the key ideas, expectations as it relates to deacons. So tonight for a few minutes, uh, before we take time and we go through uh, the important process of laying on of hands, uh, I, I wanted to take some time and to think uh, a bit more carefully about what it means to be a deacon. And this is fitting as we're asking the question on Sunday nights, what is a healthy church? Uh, well, a healthy church has healthy leadership. So what, what does that look like? So we're really going to ask and answer two, two questions here. What is a deacon? Uh, what is he, what's he doing? What's he supposed to be doing? And what should be the qualifications? What are the, what are the, uh, the requirements of a deacon in order to be one? So if you want to take notes, you know, we're probably going to work through this fairly efficiently. Uh, this is material I've talked about at times before, uh, and the Bible hasn't changed anything, so uh, the message itself largely does not change. The, the, what the Bible says about deacons is what it says about deacons, and so it does provide us important instruction. So our first consideration tonight is that first question, what is, what is a deacon? What, what, what are they supposed to be doing? Another way to put it is, what are their responsibilities? So let's take a look first here at Acts chapter 6. And the first seven verses. And let me make a comment, though, before we read this. The word deacon doesn't show up in this text. I mean, the word that eventually is translated as deacon does show up in this text. But in, in, in most translations, uh, the word deacon is not found in most English translations. W- what we're going to learn about tonight is the group that I think is the forerunner of what would later become the more formal office of deacons. By the time we get to Paul writing to Timothy in Ephesus, we have a full-blown office of deacons. They have expectations, requirements. Uh, But I think the first first image we have of this group comes to us from Acts chapter 6. And just to keep the background in mind, we've already had Pentecost, right? So Christ has ascended. Peter has preached Pentecost. Thousands of people have accepted Christ. In fact, by Acts chapter 6, it is estimated there could be 20,000 members of the church. So the first church was also the first megachurch. Not quite like megachurches today, but nonetheless, 20,000 people. So you can imagine the challenges that come with that kind of explosive growth, right? I mean, how, how can the apostles... Even even if they all 11 of them now than a 12th one by now were, were to remain there in Jerusalem, which wasn't their calling. They couldn't remain there. That wasn't their calling. But even even if they could have, could they manage all of this? Well, of course not. So what happens when you have explosive growth and not enough workers? The C word, right? I don't know, what is that? <laughs> Conflict. Conflict. So notice what happens in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, notice he doesn't say when they were being added. He says they were multiplying. That's an intentional word, by the way. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hebrews were those who maintained all of their Jewishness. Hellenists were Jews who had adopted kind of Greek culture. In fact, they could very well have been speaking Greek. So you kind of have these two groups. They're, they're at this point, you know, it's largely a Jewish congregation. 
Uh, and so you have those who are just really identifying as the Jews. Uh, then you have those who are a bit more influenced. So it says that there was a complaint against the Hebrews. By the way, they're, they're working on the sound, that's, so that's why you hear the difference. You're Wednesday night crowd, you're smart and capable. Just let it flow, alright? Okay? So you don't have to look at each other and ask, what's the deal with the sound? The deal is they're just trying to fix the sound. Alright, so. So Hebrews, the Hellenists. So there were widows who were neglected in the daily distribution. So that they, they, they cared about the fact that the widows were to be taken care of. In fact, you'll notice it's, a, it's an important part of the New Testament ethic. To take care of those who are the most vulnerable. So often widows and orphans stand as those on both sides of the most vulnerable places in life. And so the widows were taken care of. Literally, they were given a daily distribution of food. Those who were, could have most succumb to the dangers of identifying as a Christian, losing their family, losing their friends, losing their support group, would have been widows. So the church jumps in and they're delivering food. Well, those who were a bit more Greek in their lifestyle weren't getting as much as those who were Hebrew. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The word serve tables, see, they're not being sassy here. The word serve tables is the word that eventually we get the word deacon from. To serve tables was to talk about a servant. And literally to talk about the servant in the house who would have been serving the meals. So this image is drawn then from kind of that household uh, roles and expectations. And so the, the apostles are saying, look, we can't, we can't give up our duties prescribed to us by Christ in order to deliver food to all of these widows. If there are 20,000 people in the church, how many widows would there be? I mean, I don't have any idea, but my guess is a bunch. So he says, all right, so we can't stop doing what we're doing. And so in verse 3 he says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So, seek out five, seek out seven men, men who have character, maturity, responsibility about them, who are able to fulfill these, this expectation. And then, then notice again how verse 4 is very specific. So that we can give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That means preaching and teaching. Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Chorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So, so it's an interesting little story here. So you've got this problem that arises in the church. Not all the widows are being fed. The apostles say, all right, let's select seven men. And here's why I'm suggesting these are not formal deacons yet at this point. Because if you look at all those names, they're all Greek names. In other words, they have selected Hellenists. Okay? They've selected from those Jews who had Greek culture about them. Th these guys are going to make sure that the Hellenist widows get the proper daily distribution of food. So they're, they're addressing a very specific problem and they're getting a very specific group of men. Nonetheless, I think because the text does use the phrase, uh, the, 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 the serving of tables, which is again the language of the deacon, 
um, which is what the Greek word eventually is going to be translated as when you get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, I think there's a connection here. These are kind of the forerunners. This is the earliest indication that God is going to establish this group as an office of the church, an important group of leaders designed by God to, to minister to these kinds of specific needs. And I do want to point out in verse 7, it's interesting how it says, then the word of God spread. And in particular, it said a great number of priests believed. So isn't it interesting that when they when they kind of got their act together and they made sure that the widows were being taken care of, what happens? Well, priests, you, you know that not all the priests in the New Testament were, they weren't all hard-hearted and duplicitous and uh, evil folks like we usually characterize the Pharisees. In fact, not all the Pharisees were that way. I mean, a lot of these guys were good, faithful, God-fearing men. Now that they see the church taking care of widows, an important Old Testament ethic, this really seemed, that coupled with the proclamation of the gospel, then results in a lot of these priests being converted. And so it says again that, that many came to the church uh, as, as a result of it. The word of God is able to spread uh, more effectively. Now the, now the apostles are freed up to do this work, prayer, and the ministry of the word. So, so again, this is this is this earliest group. Let let, let me um, offer what I think are then then three fundamental responsibilities that are alluded to in this text uh, when it comes to the job description of a deacon. I, I think this is this is largely it. Now, understand this: that the way in which a church might apply these concepts could be different from church to church. I mean, you know, and so in some churches it'll be. Like, like ours, we have a family ministry plan, our deacons visit in hospitals, they visit uh, their shut-ins, even on Sunday they delivered the Lord's Supper, they, they took the elements with their shut-ins uh, Sunday afternoon. You know, so the deacon ministry in many ways in our church is this kind of a, uh, an extension of the pastoral office. Right? They're, they're engaged in, in care, shepherding kinds of ministries. Not every church will necessarily... Organize them that way, uh, though, though that, that is a fine way to do it. So in, in light of that, you know, want to keep in mind, there's a lot of ways that churches expect deacons to act and to serve. And that's okay. If the deacon knows this is, this is written down, this is what the church expects, and the deacon says, okay, uh, what you've got to be careful of are kind of unwritten expectations that either aren't in the church's guidelines or in biblical guidelines if you find yourself having expectations of deacons and you can't find them in the Bible and you can't find them in the bylaws, well, maybe that's just something you can talk about with yourself in your own mind, all right? Because then at that point, you know, really the, the issue then is, is insignificant. So what we want to do is to make sure that we are at least following biblical expectations. So number one, first, I think a deacon cares for the physical, practical needs of the congregation, in other words, this ministry was initially designed as a very practical uh, ministry. So there, there's a real physical, practical need uh, in the body, and so the deacons were called on to help care for it. And again, note, notice that what this means is that the, so they're engaged in, in helping to meet real needs among the congregation. So that's why we as a church extend that to, say, somebody in the hospital. Because nowadays, though, if we ever did find out that we had a widow or anybody else who is in need of food, we would certainly bring them food every day. 
That's just not our context. In other words, you just don't hear about that as much, though we would certainly do that. Uh, now, really what this ministry looks like is, again, caring for people in the midst of physical difficulties. So they're visiting hospitals, they're, uh, you know, th- th- those, those families who have somebody in the nursing home or shut in, uh, they, they are helping with these kinds of practical needs. Number two, I would say that a deacon is also responsible for promoting a spirit of unity among the congregation. I think it's interesting that deacons are, at least the forerunner of the deacon is born out of conflict. Uh, And so, you know, gentlemen, those of you who are being ordained into it tonight, I don't know what to tell you other than part of your job is is helping us manage times of conflict. Because it is, I think it is naive of a church to assume we can build a a culture where conflict is avoided. Is that possible? You find me that church and I'll give you a bunch of people who are lying, right? That's what they're doing. Because we're going to disagree about things, right? So when I say promote unity, understand what I don't mean by that. I don't mean that you all are required to be a cheerleader for the pastor. None of you would make good cheerleaders. All right, I mean, I know every one of you deacons, all right, so you wouldn't make good cheerleaders, so you don't have to do that. It's not like you have to be a yes man. Instead, this is seeking to promote and encourage unity among the body. This, this is how they're designed. This is why they, why they come up uh, in the first place in Acts 6, and this is going to be part of, their, part of their role. Number three, I also think then deacons support the ministry of preaching and prayer. They support the ministry of preaching and prayer. In other words, they're, they're coming alongside of the pastor. This is part of the work. This, this, this then enables a pastor and, and pastoral leadership to... To, to engage in their particular ministries. Now, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean that as a pastor I don't shepherd. Uh, I, I do. But preaching three times a week, uh, for better or for worse, they're all my sermons, all right? And so, you know, that, that requires a significant amount of concentration, time, and study. And, and so, n- not that I'm exactly like an apostle. That may sound bad. That's not what I mean here, other than... Clearly, there are these these distinctions. There are those who are called to the ministry of the word and to free up those to do the ministry of the word. God calls deacons. So an important part of the deacon ministry uh, is is indeed to ensure that preaching and prayer uh, are done efficiently and effectively. So, I mean, this is this is fundamentally what deacons do. There could be other things that churches decide that deacons are a part of influence, you know, that they they come together and. Uh, and engage in whatever acts. I know some churches, uh, the deacons are the building and grounds committee. Some of you deacons, your new ones are wondering, do our guys do that? Am I going to have to mow the lawn? All right, no. I mean, you have to mow mine. But I mean, you know, so for all the new ones, once, you know, once a week, you, each one rotate. Anyway, so, but otherwise, no, you don't have to do anything like that. Some churches, the deacons uh, may, ad- may administrate uh, some other you know, just practical day, daily functions of the church. Uh, and, and again, all those are fine. It's just understanding here is their f- fundamental function, helping with these practical physical needs of the congregation so that the church, you know, has a spirit of unity among them and there is a opportunity for preaching and prayer. All right, so, so now, now let's turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts cha- I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Passage you're familiar with, a passage that the deacons are familiar with. We spent uh, time uh, earlier this year in, in some of the devotional material the deacons went through during their 
uh, during the deacons meetings, looking at the qualifications of deacon. Uh, and, uh, and so we, we won't belabor the point. Really, it's, it's fairly self-explanatory. And that's part of the problem with 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Because when we're done with this, all of us think, who can be a deacon? <laughs> I mean, when we're done with this, I mean, who can be a deacon? So understand, these, these are characteristic traits. In other words, this should be a, a general reputation of the man who's going to fill the office. But be encouraged. You're not going to do this perfectly. Uh, to the men that we are ordaining tonight, uh, there's no expectation that you will perfectly fulfill all these qualifications. Uh, but you wouldn't be here. And again, for the four in particular, you four men would not be here and in this position if there were not people in this church, including the other deacons and your pastor, who felt that you violated these qualifications. You just wouldn't have been asked to do this. Uh, and so, so there, there, is, there is confidence uh, in, in you coming from the church body. So beginning in verse 8, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. But let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons. So again, that language, serve as deacons, that's, that's a throwback to Acts chapter 6, to the waiting on tables uh, language. Let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, so just as we bring this time to a close, I'm going to lay out for you, and they're going to all be on the screen, all right, so you can write them all down. What I think are five general categories here. Oh, if you're asking the question, what is a deacon supposed to be? This is it. Mature, disciplined, faithful, godly, and responsible. Mature, I, you know, I mean, it says here they must be reverent, all right? In other words, there's a sense in which they are um, stable-minded. Uh, there's a sense in which they, they've, got, um, they've got some, some years under their feet, all right? In other words, they're not novice. They're not brand new believers. They're, they're not young uh, either, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not 16-year-olds, all right? Uh, nor is it somebody who just became a Christian, uh, you know, the, the language of being reverent is somebody who is sober-minded, all right? So a clear thinker, uh, somebody who doesn't get easily rattled, but also somebody who is particularly godly, uh, concerns about propriety, wants things to be done well and right. Uh, not double-tongued, it's just what it sounds like, doesn't lie. Not given to much wine, not greedy for money. So this is language of a disciplined person. Uh, that, and notice how he, he picks alcohol and he picks money. Two things that could absolutely control a man. Paul is saying, so when you're looking at deacons, look at at their discipline. Look at, you know, so are they controlled by these things? Uh, Holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience, so they need to be faithful. That they need to be genuine believers. That they can't just be Sunday at 10.30 kind of believers. Their faith needs to matter to them throughout the week. And what they do, how they live their lives, how they treat their wives, how they treat their families, how they engage in business to whatever degree that may be, how they how they're involved in the church uh, body. This needs to be something that is consistent with the work of the gospel in their lives. Uh, then it, then it describes them as 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 godly. 
Um, again, the, the language here uh, is, is pretty, pretty straightforward, uh, that they, they need to have this kind of a, of a godliness uh, about them. That there, there's a sense of obedience to the Lord. Uh, also, you'll note the, the, the expectations as it relates to their houses. Uh, again, this comes back to the discipline issue. Um, that that here, here they have proper relationship with their wife and with the home. Now, again, gentlemen, don't allow this to derail you. Because my guess is, for every husband and dad in the room, you feel like you do way more wrong than you do right. That's good, by the way. If you said to me anything else, I would not trust you. Alright? In other words, we, we recognize this is a tricky thing. What he, mean, you know, what he means here is, is that, that the man's home is not in absolute disarray. In fact, one of the things we always ask these men, so wives... <laughs> You tell me if this happened, because we asked them all, is your wife okay with this? <laughs> is your wife okay with you being a deacon? There needs to be, you know, a, a willingness on the part of the wife to say, yeah, I concur here. Because if a wife ever come up and said, I think you want to look elsewhere, <laughs> all right, then that's a pretty good sign. Uh, something may be off. All right. So, they, so again, godly, faithful, disciplined, responsible. That this, this is kind of the makeup here uh, of, of the expectation of the deacon. Now, as we, as we move into now into a time of laying on of hands, let me mention a couple of things. One, every single one of these qualities, every single one of them in verses 8 through 13, the fundamental quality that underlies them, is commanded by every believer in the New Testament. So before you think, yeah, that's right, pastor, that's what those deacons should be. That's what you should be. Every single one of you. You, 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 you can look, up, look it up yourself. Every single one of these are repeated in one way or another just to the general church audience. Granted, there is a unique sense in which a deacon or pastor need to embody these. But, but this is no, you know, you, you can't get out of this. This is not, this is, this is not some, this two tiers of spirituality here. And, and also, as, as we now turn... Uh, to the laying on of hands. As we do this, this is not a magical moment, though it is an important one. Laying on of hands goes back to Acts chapter 6. It's just a way in which the, 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 the deacons of the church and that you as a church body by extension are acknowledging, yes, yes, these men are ones we want to serve this body in this ministry. And so at this time, we will now uh, go into the laying on of hands. I would ask... Uh, that our four uh, deacons-to-be would make their way. Uh, I've got four chairs down here. And so if the deacons would come and uh, the four deacons that we're ordaining tonight would come and would sit. And wives, if you would come and stand behind them. And as they are coming forward, uh, I would ask them that all ordained men uh, in the congregation, and we're going to start with Sid Eilertson, the chairman of deacons. And you gentlemen can sit in whichever chair you'd like here. Uh, we're going to. Uh, I'm, I've asked Sid uh, Eilertson to begin this process. So if I could now have all other ordained men to make their way and just line up here behind Sid. And so now we are going to go into a time of prayer for these men, uh, as uh, as each of these deacons just takes a moment to, over each of them to pray uh, a prayer and uh, to encourage them. Uh, as they do so, and uh, Martha will will play softly for us. 
uh, as, as you are there in the congregation, this is an opportunity for you to pray for uh, these men, their wives, their families, and the opportunity that we have uh, to serve together the people of Tabernacle Baptist Church. All right, uh, Brother Sid, you may begin. <laughs> 